Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. Hi, this is Shane Vanderhart. Welcome back to another episode. And it has been a long hiatus, but we are back. And I had the opportunity to interview Pastor Ron Smedley. Uh, he's a former pastor. I believe he said he ministered in three different churches, one including uh, here in the Des Moines area where I'm located. Um, he is currently the executive director of Mission Recovery. He's also a former parole officer with the state of Texas and a caseworker for uh, Child Protective Services. And he and I talk about uh, the problem, this crisis, addiction crisis, the United States faces. Um, and he is uniquely qualified to understand the depth of the problem of addiction. And and that problem even exists in the church. So uh, he and I uh, had a nice chat. But before I, I bring you that interview, um, I, I came across a, an article in the Christian Post. Um, it was an, It's a testimony by uh, Deanna McFarlane. Uh, she is a, a an ex drug felon, and the title of the of the article is "America's Churches Need to Help the Two Million Opioid Addicts." Um, she writes, "I was a slave to opioids that ruined my entire life. It started when I was 30, and my doctor prescribed me uh, hydrocodone, a generic compound opioid of Vicodin and Tylenol. After a car accident revealed during an X-ray that I had a congenital defect in my lower back called spina bifida." occulta. The crash aggravated that disc, causing debilitating pain. Initially, I took just one tablet at night before bed. My prescription said that I could take up to two tablets a day as needed, and within three months I was consuming two hydrocodone tablets three times a day. When the opioids coursed through my veins, I felt invincible. They not only made my double shifts bearable as a geriatric charge nurse responsible for 30 patients and nurses' aides, but they helped me cope with my job stress between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. Within a year and a half, I'm ashamed to admit, I was ingesting six hydrocodone tablets four times a day. I became increasingly erratic, rude, short-tempered as I experienced manic mood swings, but it got worse. I began stealing. When my doctor's monthly prescription ran out in four days, I resorted to breaking the seventh commandment. I stole opioids from the nursing home where I was employed, claiming that I had given the patients their drugs when in fact I'd pocketed them. Plus, I stole hydrocodone tablets, which were on the verge of expiration. When the pharmacy came to retrieve them to safely destroy them, I lied, claiming I didn't know where they'd disappeared to. All told, I'd stolen 500 hydrocodone tablets. It didn't end there. I was so enslaved to my opioid addiction that I even stole $800 from my beloved father by cashing checks and buying the pills on on the street for $5 a pill. My life became a vicious cycle of stealing, using, and acting erratically, and the payoff was no longer there. I was pathetic. In fact, I became so disgusted with myself, I I contemplated suicide several times. And she... uh, she was later arrested, um, spent 15 months in prison, uh, was given 10 years probation, and that was still not enough to reform her and help her kick this habit. Uh, she explains, once I got out of prison, um, once she got out of prison, once I got out of the sober, she was in a sober living facility, actually after being released from prison, I binged on cocaine for a couple months. I still hadn't learned my lesson. On April 24, 2013, I was lying in a dark apartment with blood running out my nose 
As the sun was coming up, I cried out, Satan or God, whoever is more powerful, I just wish you would kill me right now. On my drive to a friend's house, I planned to take my life by overdosing on a bottle of Ambien. I couldn't take it anymore, but God would spare my life once again. He sent a policeman to save me from myself. As I saw his flashing red and blue lights in my rearview mirror, I pulled two oxycodone out of my bra, swallowed them down, and lit a cigarette. After pulling me over for expired tags and registration and failure to identify, I sat in, in the back of a the cop car, tears streaming down my cheeks on my way to prison. I've ended. I'm tired of being a junkie. I've lost everything. My good paying job as a charge nurse, relationships with those whom I love the most. I just took a couple of oxycodone that I really don't even want, and I'm hungry. The cop listened compassionately while watching me in the rearview mirror. After bonding out, I foolishly got drunk on May 7, 2013, the day before a 30-day rehab stay at Oak Haven in Marshall, Texas. But thank God, since May 8th, I've been totally clean. She said, what made the difference? First, she came to an end of herself. Uh, she was sick and tired of being sick and tired. But then she, um, after the sober house that had filed charges against her for writing $1,700 of stolen checks, her father agreed to cover the stolen money if she promised, one, to pay him back every penny, and two, enter a six-month Christian rehab program in Morgan's Mercy Mansion in Winsboro, Texas. And it was there that she found Christ and that she um, came, became clean. And there are many stories like, uh, like Deanna's. Um, and that's what uh, Pastor Ron and I uh, talk about and how the church can get involved. This coming Sunday's a Recovery Sunday, um, and I hope your church gets involved. You can learn how your church can become involved. Uh, but more importantly, if you can't participate on Sunday, I mean, there are plenty of ways churches can, can get involved even after the fact. This obviously is a, uh, a problem that we can't just focus one Sunday on. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Pastor Ron. Pastor Ron, thank you so much for joining the Caffeinated Thoughts podcast. Good morning, Shane, and the great people of Des Moines, Iowa. That has a real uh, place in my heart because one of my first churches was in Des Moines, so it's wonderful to be with you today. Uh, good to have you. So uh, I want to talk about the 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 problem it's it's something well we're starting we see more and more talk of it in the news with the opioid crisis but just how bad is the addiction problem in the united states to be frank with you shane i think it's the most relevant need in our nation uh when you consider all forms of addiction the opioid crisis is a crisis of itself because it has issues of physical pain. But when you start dealing with illicit drugs and alcohol, a recent study, and stats are variable, but I've seen this be consistent, is 23 million 12 years or older have at least one addiction. And we know that 11 million are addicted to opioids, 10 uh, painkillers and another million heroin. And, for example, in 2017, 191 million opioid prescriptions were dispensed by doctors. And what, what really motivates me, Shane, is saving lives because 700, let me say that again, 700,000 of our precious souls have died 120 daily 
and 180 uh, overall for all forms of addictions of our precious souls are dying every day due to uh, due to addiction. Wow. Wow. Um, and when you say addiction, are you talking solely just drug and alcohol abuse or are you, or are you thinking wider than that? Well, of course, addiction is wider than that because it's all rooted in, in the same thing. It's escaping some form of pain. Of course, opioids are these common uh, painkillers that we all know about. It's a main ingredient where it numbs pain and then gives a sense of euphoria. But what I've found, Shane, you can you can run the gamut all the way from alcohol, illicit drugs, methamphetamines, to overeating and playing too much video games. Uh, a lot of times it's rooted in escaping pain and seeking some form of pleasure other than the pleasure that we can find in God. Okay, so uh, one thing I, I was wondering, and and maybe you've seen this, what kind of an impact do you think COVID-19, the COVID-19 pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns have had on, on addiction problems? And thank you for asking that. That is a real passion of mine. I didn't know if I'd have time to address it or not. But the pandemic has, as I said earlier, this was already of epic proportion, Shane. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pandemic has increased it exponentially. For example, uh, 28% more alcohol. And I don't know if your listeners know this or not, but the most abused drug in America is alcohol, whether it's legal or not. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's increased 28%. Addiction itself has increased, or excuse me, substance abuse has increased 30% during the pandemic. And as I said about saving lives earlier, what we found is in March there was an 18% increase in overdose deaths. But now, as late as May, what they found is 49%, 49% increase of, of an already overwhelming problem of, of overdose just because of the pandemic. And I think you mentioned earlier, isolation is not good for people in recovery. That's the worst thing that can happen Mm -hmm. to them. And unfortunately, we have seen people have to socially distance. And to be frank with you, Shane, and those within my realm of influence, I tell them not even to use that term anymore. We're never going to use the term social isolation. We will use the term temporary physical distancing because we need to provide these people community because the opposite of addiction is connection. And and Zoom chats don't exactly fit the bill, right? They, they don't really help that much. Probably better than nothing, but it's still exactly. not the same. Just about, it's better than nothing, but it doesn't it doesn't give the dynamic of that live interaction because we all need that we all need that connection and people in recovery all the more because they're dealing with a, a daily battle. They need people to check on them, support them, pray for them, and hold them accountable. And again, that's where that's where the church can really make a difference. Okay, so um, I, I recently read a testimony. Uh, I think it was published a couple of days ago in the Christian Post by Deanna McFarlane, and it just struck me. You know, her addiction started. Um, she was a nurse who ended up getting had losing her license and had to go to prison. Uh, because she stole opioids, she got she was in a car accident. She's in a lot of pain, um, so she got hooked on hydrocodone uh, that was prescribed to her by her doctor, and, and then it just spiraled spiraled out of control to stealing in order to get her fix. After 15 months in prison and lengthy probation, she still struggled with addiction. Now, how common is that story? Very common, 
very common. Um, do you mean do you mean the story of her, her particular? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, people. You know, obviously not exact. Yeah, people getting starting out with you know I'm I'm in pain. I've I've you know I just I got this hydrocodone prescription, but then they start abusing it. Yeah, well, again, what I've found in 22 years of dealing with it as both a pastor and a parole officer is it's rooted in the same. Again, Deanna's powerful transformational story was an, an, a legitimate injury, and then these uh, opioids are so powerful that she became addicted. And what I've found is, again, even you can think about alcohol or methamphetamines, if a person starts using whatever the circumstances of their usage before long, they get what we used to call getting hooked, what we would call addicted. And it's like it's like a bondage. It's like carrying around a ball and chain. So that's, that's very in, important. And, again, another aspect, Shane, that, again, I don't think people realize is that it's very pervasive. That makes the problem so, so much more pervasive. And also another reason why the churches can help is because one of our taglines is behind every addiction there's some form of pain. So for example, we call that self-medicating. People may be self-medicating from the pain of a divorce, or they may be self-medicating from the pain of some other form of loss, or frankly, 20, 20 million Americans have a mental health diagnosis like depression and anxiety. And sometimes they have an addiction with their mental health diagnosis. But it's all rooted in trying to escape pain and then uh, to seek pleasure. And these things bring you euphoria and therein they become addicted and uh, they and they need help it's not as simple as just you need to snap out of it you need to change because they're totally hooked but we at we pastors and churches we we know the pain taker we know the one who can bind up the broken heart and set captives free uh, speaking of the church how common is addiction problems in the church it's not something we talk about but you know, one thing I found is my, with my experience, I was a youth pastor in three different churches and a pastor in one. And, and uh, you know, there, there's sin in the church and we have problems, but we don't necessarily like to talk about it. But, it you know, this addiction issue, this addiction uh, epidemic exists within the church as, as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, uh, to be frank with you, Shane, uh, I've found no line of demarcation between the church and the unchurched. Because this is no respecter of persons, it's no respecter of religion, and it's no respecter of any demographic. So the same stats that we see, I saw as both a parole officer and a pastor. And the difference is, it's usually not talked about in the church because, uh, you know, shame or because of stigma. And one of the things that I try to deal with people is to take away the stigma because most people in recovery that need it don't feel comfortable going into a lot of churches because of feeling shame, and many times it is self-imposed. So uh, we we try to really make sure people have a welcoming environment because these aren't the kind of things that are talked about. But James says that we all stumble in many ways, and we need to confess our faults one to another and, and be healed. Um I can address a study recently that Lifeway found about pastors and their awareness of these problems and and where they can uh, um, help if, if you'd like me to. Yeah, please. Please do. Because of the pervasive, you asked the question about in the church, uh, mm -hmm. what Lifeway did was they polled pastors 
and being a pastor myself, I always uh, am interested in this. And they found that most pastors found that they know, 52% of them know someone who's addicted to opioids, again, because it's so pervasive. Mm-hmm. And then are thinking about the other forms of addiction, too. That would be that would increase the knowledge. But what they also found is that over 60% of those same pastors and churches do not have any kind of ministry and do not have any kind of program to begin to address it. And that's part of our passion is to help with that because what we found, Shane, is that 80%, 80% of hurting families and individuals that are in crisis, they come to churches first. So one of the things that I always say is church church should be the, the best support group because we can give the message, uh, we can give hope, we can give community, and we can give discipleship and prayer. So that's why Recovery Sunday is so important that we set that aside to just equip churches to really make a difference in this pervasive epidemic of uh, addiction. Yeah, uh, Recovery Sunday is, just so our our listeners are aware, is is the 27th, correct? Yes. Uh, We're a little late in the game for your listeners to be aware, but it is is this Sunday. the importance of it is what you asked about earlier. This was already important, and we did we've done it for three years. But the tam- pandemic has made it even of greater importance because of uh, the increased stress. Again, stress is one of the biggest triggers to get to um, make people want to use or to escape. And with the fear and the panic of the loss of uh, freedom, the loss of jobs, you know, frankly, the loss of health. Um, people are hurting right now. So we're asking people on September 27th, you pastors out there, if you're listening, tell your pastors to go to the website, recoverysunday.com. There's resources there. There's uh, packets for pastors. But what we're saying is, even though this is late in the game, if you will just acknowledge that there's a problem and that we hear your cry, and be willing to pray. We're asking people all over the nation on September 27th to pray about the problem with addiction, to pray for the individuals, and to pray for their affected family members. Uh, the Bible says that there is um, the, the righteous prayer, uh, a fervent a prayer of a righteous man avails much. And previously, when we've done this, we've seen a great response, and it impacts uh, many hurting people and frankly has saved souls and saved lives just by the just by the simple fact of hearing them and praying for them. Okay. Uh you know obviously this needs to go beyond just one Sunday so and and you, when you talked about pastors uh 60% of pastors according to that Lifeway research study that did not uh offer any kind of a a program. I mean that that really strikes me because one of the things I used to do was I was a worked for an organization called Serve Our Youth Network, which was working with juvenile offenders and high risk youth. And um, one of the things that we would look for when we were looking for what different churches provided, especially as some of these kids were released back into the community, uh, what were things like you know drug recovery programs and or addiction recovery programs and. I, I have to tell you, I can only think even today, and it's been, I'm several years removed from that position, but uh, I, I can only think of a handful of churches, even the Des Moines area, that had made any mention of that, like a, even on a website. See all sorts of different ministries and, and programs, which is great, but hardly anything that addresses this problem. So how can a church, how, how can a church, you know, take first steps into uh, 
finding out how they can get involved in addiction recovery ministry. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for what you just articulated, Shane, and you're exactly right. And I have to be careful because I don't want to be critical about pastors, but I am one. So I think uh, God has used me to give me a voice to help pastors because of so many people coming to pastors. And, And you know yourself, as you just mentioned, not only are there not a lot of ministries, quite frankly, uh, seminary and, and Bible training doesn't many times adequately help us feel equipped to deal with stuff like mental health and addiction. And so I have been passionate to try to help come alongside pastors to say, if you want to engage in this uh, most relevant need in our nation, you have things like uh, life recovery that's awesome. You can go into a group, find like-minded people who are struggling in recovery and their family members, and start a group just from reading the Bible and the lessons attached to it, or celebrate recovery. There are a few of those. But what we're excited about, Shane, because you mentioned, we want to take it further from just those who, we're asking for at least prayer, but if you want to respond long-term, we are excited to say that we have a 52-week plug-and-play program that has to do, it's called Recovery Strategies for Life. It has PDF workbooks. It has 30-minute videos. It's very, um, uh, it's, it's contained within it. It's very easy. A pastor can review them. And, he, and what, what the stats say, at least 30 to 35% of the people in your church, your congregation is going to be affected. And if you start a program like this, in my experience, the national survey says at least 10 to 15% will participate if you address the need. But my experience, frankly, over 22 years is it'll be 30 to 35% of the people that are affected will come. And then a lot of times their friends and their family will see the transformation of the individual and they'll start coming. So we want to help by offering you this program. If you'll go to recoverysunday.com, pastors, you can sign up for that free. Let me say that again. It's a free 52 week program that addresses issues of having to do with recovery, forgiveness, shame, identity in Christ, and so we want to offer that to you. So please, again, if, if you if you uh, tell your pastor to go to recoverysunday.com and check it out. All right, so definitely has the right price. <laughs> it's free. Got my attention there. So uh, what now uh, beyond, you know, curriculum like this, what are some other elements to a, a an addiction recovery program that a church should, you know, look, um, consider? Uh, well, you know, the first things that come to my mind is something we talked about earlier, an opening and welcoming environment, because mm-hmm. I always say, you know, uh, people shouldn't have to go to a bar or shouldn't have to go to a support group. The church should be the support group. And on a humorous note, I say Garth Brooks really gets it. There's a song that says, I've got friends, friends in low, in low places. places. Yeah. 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 Where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is he gets. That's what the problem is. People are looking for some. They're looking for something to escape pain. And so, a lot of times, if we can create a culture, as I mentioned earlier, if a pastor will say, "Hey, we we want to engage here," because frankly, Shane, it's messy. Being a pastor myself, it's messy and. Furthermore, not feeling equipped, a lot of times it's easy to put our heads in the sand. So if we can create a welcoming environment, people are out there and they'll come if they're welcomed and loved. And because every addict I've ever dealt with in 22 years has such a sense of shame, a lot of times they're very sensitive of coming into an environment. So welcoming them, uh, 
one thing you can think about is uh, also providing intensive discipleship because they can experience the transformation of Jesus Christ, and the government can't give that to them. I work for the government. The government can't transform from within. But right. after the, after they're touched by Jesus, they have daily struggles and daily temptations. And so they can build relationships that people can disciple them, uh, hold them accountable lovingly, and pray for them whenever they need it. And one thing that a lot of people don't think about, Shane, is as pervasive as this problem is, only 10% of people are able to get help. That's a national statistic. So we've got this big problem and only 10% resources. I know as a parole officer that there aren't enough resources, but think about the resources that churches have. Also yeah. think about the 80% of people that can't afford or don't have insurance or have burned all the bridges and have no paying source to go into a program. Imagine what would happen if churches would sow into their budgets providing Christ-centered recovery for the struggling individuals in their congregation and community. It can make such a difference. So those are some things that we try to address and help pastors to think about, of how the church being a support group itself, the church being a hospital for mm -hmm. the sick and the broken. And so that's some tangible things that they you know, pastors can also work on. All right. So talk to me a little bit about mission recovery. What does what that um what is that organization? Uh, how long has it been around? And how did you get involved? Basically, Mission Recovery was started three years ago. Uh, I have been involved in advocacy for years. I believe in taking the gospel out into the streets, out from the walls. And so I had partnered with some guys that were activists uh, with survivors and victims empowered, SAVE, and because of this issue of addiction, they asked me to come on board and to be a voice because being involved as a pastor for 40 years and 22 years involved in uh, addiction, that they felt I could have a voice to bring, uh, advoc advocate for all forms of addiction in a very balanced approach. So we started Mission Recovery three years ago to be an organization that helps empower and educate and equip churches and pastors to be able to uh, address the issue of addiction. Now, you, you said you've been working with addiction recovery for 22 years. How did you get your start doing that? Well, that's a long story, but I'll give you the brief, brief uh, version. I, uh, I left the pastorate back in 94, and I just was feeling um, a stirring from the Lord to, to get among people that, to be frank with you, a lot of times the church is not very friendly to. Mm. Um, but in my opinion, it's the ones that Jesus came to seek and save. And so I became a parole officer. And uh, I, uh, becoming a parole officer, my very first caseload was substance abuse caseload. So I would spend three times a day, go to treatment team meetings, learning about addiction in, in, the, in the secular program through the uh, state of Texas. I also witnessed uh, during that time the George Bush faith-based initiatives where, believe it or not, Shane, this was unbelievable. The state itself was asking Christ-centered programs to come into their offices mm -hmm. because they were seeing the, the great impact and the fruit that Christ-centered recovery was bringing to the, the offenders. And here's, here's a really good hook. If we want people to stop committing crimes, what I found was 89% of the people that commit crimes do it either under the influence of drugs or alcohol, or they're doing it to 
support a habit. So think mm-hmm. about that. So mm-hmm. if churches could engage and transform lives, restore families, it stops crime. And uh, so I witnessed that with my own eyes. So that's how that all came about. That's how I became a parole officer, and that's what gave me a passion to be able to help a people that a lot of times the churches aren't able to reach. All right. Pastor Ron, any, any last thoughts you'd like to share with our, our listeners about getting involved with addiction recovery? Well, I want to first of all thank you, Shane. I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity. I want to thank you for what you said, and I want to thank you for your help with this cause we greatly appreciate that. So, again, I would just say to your listeners, you know, if you're a family member, if you're an uh, individual, just lean lean on the Lord. Uh, he's the one who can help you. He's the one who can set you free. And then find a community to support you. Don't be ashamed. That's strength to admit your weakness. And uh, so find a place that you can find support. And if you're listening out there, go to recoverysunday.com. Please sign up. Please join us. You pastors, please check it, check it out and join us praying for the souls that need to be saved, rescued, and healing in our land. Again, that's recoverysunday.com. Well, Pastor Ron, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. And God bless you, and, and I, I hope uh, God will just uh, bless Recovery Sunday, and, and we'll see fruit from that you know, in, in the time beyond that. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you, Shane. God bless you. God bless you. Take care. And that concludes today's episode of the Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you happen to be listening to this podcast somewhere other than on our website, please be sure to check out caffeinatedthoughts.com. Again, that's caffeinatedthoughts.com. You can just Google caffeinated thoughts and it'll show up at the top of your search screen. Also, be sure to to, uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, sign up for our emails. That way you don't miss a single update. And you can listen to this podcast by subscribing to us in one of your favorite, uh, in your favorite podcast app, be it Apple Podcasts or uh, uh, Stitcher or Spotify, Podbean or SoundCloud. Uh, we're there. If there's another one that we're missing, you know, drop me a line at Shane at CaffeinatedThoughts.com and I'll see if I can make that happen. Until next time, my friends, take care and have a wonderful day. Bye.